This is an extra episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming. In the course of researching cases of murder and disappearance across the Cowboy State for almost two years now, if you can believe that, I've come across some stories of those who are missing and murdered which haven't fit into a regular episode of the show for one reason or another. I host several other true crime-related podcasts, and I can't speak for all producers in this way, but I can say that for me, this work has gifted me a human empathy that I didn't quite possess in the same way before. By which I mean, a murdered woman is no less a victim because she happened to be addicted to drugs at the time of her death, or a missing person is no less missing because of the color of their skin. As we progress in this podcast and we continue to strive to provide the most and best quality content to our supporters, we'll be featuring some of these other cases that haven't been covered in the main feed in Patreon-only episodes like this one. Now, to access these shorter extra episodes of Dead and Gone in Wyoming, you'll need to be a Patreon supporter. And to those of you who are able to support the continued storytelling that this podcast shares for $10, you can sign up at patreon.com slash wyomingpodcast, or you could just Google Dead and Gone in Wyoming and Patreon and find it that way. For those of you who are unable or unwilling to monetarily support this show, please know that is perfectly fine with me. Just to have you among the listening to this show specifically has been one of the greatest pleasures of my career for the last few dozen episodes. And I'm certainly hoping to continue that for everybody for as long as possible. A great way to support the show, maybe the best way, is a free way. Just tell a friend. Tell a friend about the podcast. Pick someone you think might enjoy the show and show them how to listen to podcasts. That's more than enough. And now on to the episode. Who among us has not fantasized about running away from our world? Our life, our responsibilities, even sometimes running away from those closest to us, the people who care about us the most. Becoming wise, if not becoming old, is mostly about learning how to control that impulse to seek an easy way out of any given situation. The 12-stepper, the alcoholic, or the drug abuser has the saying, Wherever you go, there you are. And regardless of your brand of trouble, this undeniable truth persists. Problems don't usually solve themselves. The problem doesn't have to be a biological or a chemical imbalance for this to be so. The problems we Americans face are both universal to all humans and specific to our society. They can be easily managed or they can be chronic and unavoidable. But no matter the specific issue in one's life, there is rarely another solution but to simply manage it or address it directly. This may be true of adults, but what about the problems our kids face? In a society of individuals, we make an exception when it comes to the well-being of our children. Children are legally protected in ways that adults are not. They are treated differently by the system because of our consensus as a society that they should be. Their vulnerability requires additional attention and guidance and protection, we have all decided. And yet, 
We are a society of individuals, individual liberty, individual freedom being founding priorities of this republic. And so, there ends up, practically speaking, being a limit to the extent the systems that we invent to catch those who fall through the cracks and into the safety net can help, even when it comes to the most vulnerable among us. One such child was Justin Harris. Justin Philip Harris arrived at the R.L. Mills Boys Home in Casper in 2003. Justin's mother had turned him and his younger sister over to the custody of the state, and by 2003, Justin had been through several failed foster care placements. But R.L. Mills was something of an oasis for Justin once he finally arrived there. Or it should have been. Until it finally closed due to lack of funding in 2011, the R.L. Mills Group Home for Boys was the only such facility in Casper in Wyoming's second-largest city. R.L. Mills served boys ages 12 to 17, who were court-ordered to live there. Each boy brought with him his own background. Some were sent to the home because of family violence. Others ran away. Others got in trouble in some way, in school or otherwise, chronic truancy, other offenses. Whatever the reason for their being there, once the court intervened, there wasn't much anyone else could do, and there's certainly nothing that the child could have done. With a capacity for 10 boys at any one time, the group home was always intended to be short-term housing for boys with nowhere else to go. The average stay at R.L. Mills lasted six months, and 13-year-old Justin Harris had been at the home for a little longer than that in February of 2004. On Valentine's Day, February 14th, the staff at the home on the morning rounds discovered that they were one boy short. The bed in Justin's shared boarding room was empty. Well, it was empty of Justin in the place of where the boys should have been under the bed covers were pillows and blankets stuffed in place to make it appear as though a boy were still sleeping in it, but Justin was not. At 9 a.m. that morning, Justin Harris was reported missing to the Casper Police Department. Police responded to the scene at the north end of town and were flummoxed. Police had no way of knowing whether the 13-year-old's disappearance was the result of a crime or a runaway or a family-related abduction. Within the first 10 days missing, polygraph examinations were administered to the staff and anyone else involved with the group home. Extensive searches of the North Platte River and other areas in the north end were conducted. At the same time, all of the searches have been fruitless. Justin's father, Philip Harris, a truck driver who had fought for custody to get his son and failed, publicly questioned the competency of the staff at the group home. How does a boy go missing from a house like that? When was the last time anybody had seen Justin? Had there been bed checks the night before? Were there supposed to be? For that matter, was the facility properly secured? Any alarms, security cameras, anything else? He wanted to know. Questions were all Philip Harris had, and he soon came to theorize that his son had run away. Specifically, run away trying to find him, but that his son wouldn't know where in the country to start looking for his over-the-road father. The prospect of that possibility 
The boy asking questions of those who inhabit the interstate system of the American West, clearly lost and without any protection, is a truly frightening one. In his hope, Philip theorized that Justin was either still in the Casper area somewhere or had tried to go to Swink, Oklahoma. That's where Philip lived. There was something beyond the blind and desperate hope of a father to kindle this idea. Justin had repeatedly run away from his various foster homes in the past. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children circulated posters of Justin Harris to all 50 states within two weeks. Eventually, Justin's father Philip came to a harsher theory, and maybe or maybe not a more realistic theory, that Justin hadn't run away from the group home that Valentine's Eve at all, but had in fact become the victim of a crime. And Philip believed that regardless of who might have been responsible for his son's demise then, that once it had happened, the group home went about trying to cover this up. To date, there is no evidence I'm aware of to substantiate this worst-case scenario. What is known, at least from Philip Harris, is that nobody seemed to want to take responsibility for whatever had happened to his boy. Two months into the investigation, Philip was complaining of finger-pointing amongst the staff of the group home. Quote, I just want the body, good, bad, or indifferent. And I hope they find whoever did this before I do. Unquote. Ten years on, anyone who knew Justin Harris had all but lost hope, and the theories of what had happened that night began to gray in their fade into the past, as has almost any mention of the boy now, 17 years on. The Casper Police Department still maintains a case file on Justin, and investigators remain technically assigned to the case, although there have been no new leads in quite some time now. Justin's DNA is still on file, and it's periodically compared against any John Doe body that's found and remains unidentified. Justin Harris would be 31 years old this year, this August. He has blonde hair and green eyes. He would still require eyeglasses or contact lenses, and an age-progressed photo of Justin is available. We'll post it alongside this episode. The R.L. Mills Group Home for Boys has been closed for 10 years now. It existed well after one who was under its care disappeared into a February night. But eventually, a lack of placement of boys to the home, and so the loss of money per child, closed its doors for good. We are all sometimes tested. Problems, unavoidable and inherent just to being alive, will confront all of us until the day we die. But a child cannot be blamed for running away from a broken system, nor is it up to the child to do anything to fix it. Thank you for listening to this extra episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming. To those of you who foster children, many of you being the greatest among us, a moment from me for a sincere, heartfelt thanks. You have my appreciation for your heart and your soul. My work over the years has thrust me into the darker side of homeless and runaway children, or throwaway children as I prefer to call them. 
My experiences in reporting have changed my view of this silence problem forever. I'll never be the same person that way again. Wyoming typically does not have a high need for fostering children, and I raise that fact to say this. Any among you who have been considering or would consider becoming involved in the solution of adopting or fostering children into a caring environment would do a marked service for children in need of a chance. Sources for this episode include Joshua Wolfson's reporting for the Casper Star Tribune, as well as the Charlie Project. If you have any information about the whereabouts of Justin Harris, who disappeared from Casper, Wyoming in February 2004, contact the Casper Police Department at 307-235-8278. And you can find out more information about fostering or adopting at adoptuskids.org. For everyone at County10.com, I'm Scott Fuller, and thank you once more for paying attention to this extra episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming.